0: This is the Mobile Tech Podcast brought to you by WorldPodcasts.com. Now, here's your host, Tank Girl Miriam Jouar. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Jouar. And today is Thursday, July 15th, 2021. And my guest is the one, the only Adam Conway of XDA. Hi, Adam. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing pretty great. Thanks. So, you know, a bunch of news this week, lots of leaks and rumors around Pixel, of course, intensifying and OnePlus with the Nord 2 and Samsung because they have some event that they still haven't announced. Have they officially announced their event yet? I don't think they have because the it's only thing weird, I saw right? was
1: a Photoshopped fake invite yeah. card. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, that's what I saw too. Anyway, so we have speculations around these we want to cover with you. But more importantly, Adam and I have used some of the same devices recently, and I just wanted to kind of get his feel for what he thought about them. He reviewed them both on XDA. One is a Red Magic 6R, which I also have. And the other one, believe it or not, is not a phone. It is a wearable, and it's the Huawei Watch Fit Elegant. And so I want to kind of get your feel for these two things. <laughs> yeah. What did you think of them? Let's start with the Red Magic 6R
1: all right so the red magic 6r was interesting because i hadn't ever used a red magic device and their 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 parent company is nubia right that's right yeah i haven't used any nubia products either other than like the the one that had like the small screen on the back i tested that at mwc once that was my only experience with um with them before and the red magic 6r what was interesting about that was the shoulder triggers in particular on the sides uh but what ended up happening was when I bound them to different in-game controls and stuff, uh, I would be playing and my palm would cover the speaker on the bottom of the phone because yeah. I'm pressing the shoulder triggers. And then when I'm, if I have a USB-C dongle for listening to music or for playing games with wired audio, my hand was cramping trying to get around that. Um, so it was like, I liked the idea of the shoulder triggers, but I found it was kind of nearly poorly executed. And then when I did stress testing on it, it was, uh, getting very hot to the point it was burning my hands. So,
0: so it's so interesting that you bring all this up because I'm kind of uh, sad that you haven't had a chance to use a red magic phone before because they are really awesome phones for the money, you saw the software and you you experienced the bugginess and the bad translations and the horribleness that is yeah. the Nubia slash Red Magic software. If you can get past that, their hardware has always been really solid. And if you're looking at purely a gaming device, you should do yourself a favor and try to get Red Magic to send you the six. I've bought yeah. both right now so I can use them side by side. And the Five G prior to that and the three prior to that or the three series, there were several models, I used and reviewed as well. And so I came into this on purpose not wanting to review a gaming phone. Like, you know, yeah. I wanted to review the six R because I felt like it was gonna be like an everyday gaming phone. Like something that you yeah. can use as a flagship for most stuff and then you wanna whip it out to do a game and it'll perform a little better with 144 hertz and with the shoulder buttons than like a Galaxy S21 Ultra would, right? That's kind of where I was coming from. And I think if you look at it that way, then it makes sense. But yeah, all the things you're talking about, you know, sustained performance, you're not going to get that without the fan. And the fan really makes a difference in the 6 and the 5G and the 3 prior to that. And you're not going to get, you know, a comfortable grip if... You don't have a headphone jack. Like the 6 has a headphone jack and it's placed in the right spot, you know. And of course here you don't, so you have to use a dongle and then it gets complicated because the camera pods in the way and you got the whole the punch, right? That, that's not optimal yeah. for gaming. Yeah. But I think if you look at it from a purely gaming perspective, it's not the phone for you. I think if you yeah. look at it from like, I'm somebody whose average is a little higher in gaming in terms of interest than the normal person. But primarily I want a phone that can do it all, that's powerful and fast, has the specs. But then when I game, I want to benefit from a few little things, especially the, the triggers, the capacitive yeah. shoulder buttons. And in that sense, I think it works. But I have a lot of ifs and buts with this phone and, and I wanna kinda of pick your brain about if you were to put your I want this to be a flagship hat on, what would you ding on it?
1: I think, honestly, it's 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 very like it, it. It actually, as you mentioned, is a good phone in terms of just purely if you're thinking from the perspective of I want a phone that doesn't look like an eyesore but is good at gaming, uh, because you know a lot of them are really flashy and they're bright and they've mad designs on them. But this one is like very close. It kind of looks like um like the S twenty one series in terms of even that camera bump at the top left and stuff on the back. Uh, I think. There's there's not a lot that I can actually really say that it's missing as opposed to the whole package itself. I feel like it's maybe executing some things poorly. So like the placement of the USB C jacks. I think even on some ASUS phones, so they have the USB C port on the side. Yeah. Um, so then it's not getting in the way when you're playing. But again, you you you're comparing to a real gaming
0: phone. I think this is, yes. This yes. is where it's really challenging with this phone, and I, and I yeah. applaud actually Red Magic for trying this kind of radical new idea of like let's make a gaming phone that's kind of like hybrid flagship hybrid gaming phone because it's not optimal for either but it might serve some people like i would personally rather have this phone in my pocket than a 6 because the 6 is a monster it's so big Mm. you know and yes it's perfect for gaming like there's no hole punch there's stereo speakers there's a headphone jack these are three things by the way that are i think demerits with the 6r It has mono speaker. It has no headphone jack. It has the punch hole. The 6 has a bigger display with 165 hertz and it's trigger buttons and the fan. So you're paying a hundred US dollars more, but you're getting a proper gaming phone. And I think honestly, with a hundred dollar difference on a 499 to 599, I would spend a hundred dollars more if you were a gamer. Considering an Asus ROG Phone 5 or some Legion phone from Lenovo is going to cost you like, probably like almost $1,000, right? Yeah, yeah. But then you look at the kind of the other opposite side of the story and you're like, if you bought this phone, and, and I did actually, my first article about Red Magic was for Android Police. And I said, hear me out, folks. What if you bought the Red Magic 3 at the time as a flagship purely for its specs and price? You never used it for gaming. You just used it as a flagship. Would that be a good experience? And the takeaway was, nah, not yeah. so much, but not also not no. Like Because the, the performance is there. The yeah. problem I felt with Red Magic up to the 6R actually has always been the cameras being subpar. And they still are on the 6R, but yeah. they are at least a little more serviceable. And I'll explain in a second why. But I think that That was a big obstacle in the past. The software has always been an issue that hasn't evolved. I think that if there's one thing that Nubia and Red Magic need to address, and I'm sure you're going to agree, is the software is just crap. Like, like what were the issues you ran into?
1: So, like, I actually, I think some of the ideas it has are i I like some of how it how it's laid out how it's designed like the game space I actually think while it could do with some tweakings is quite good uh, yeah. the launcher in particular is not great um obviously there are the translation issues there's they have ideas, and it's the execution that is the problem um hundred percent it, it it's it's in such a weird place because if they like like it's a really gamery design right and sometimes things are in weird places in the settings and it's hard to find things or maybe there are set there are features that you would expect there to be a setting for like i don't think there's a one-handed mode for example right about that i could find i don't
0: think so no I, if there is one i haven't found it and that's again the problem this is so all over the place yeah the launcher is pretty terrible it's not like like horrible, horrible in the sense that it does. It's not like a Chinese launcher like was five years yeah. ago or something, right? It's not like trying to be an iPhone, but it's um, I don't know. The aesthetics of this software is what really bugs me. I mean, when I'm yeah. in gaming mode, I'm happy. That's the aesthetics yeah. I expect. And again, six versus six R, the six is crazy like gaming phone aesthetic, right? That's it's yeah. all full on, and they toned it down here. And I think it works. It's still flashy. Right? Yeah. It still looks different. You pull that out, people are like, ooh, what is that? Like it kind of yeah. looks like a one plus nine, you know, pro that got bejeweled somehow. You know, like you know yeah. what I mean? It's it's really <laughs> yeah, kind of yeah. what it reminds me of. And a lot of my media friends, when I showed them the phone, thought it was the Axon 30 Pro, actually. Really? You know, because that camera bump, you know, with that weird little indent. That has yeah, that weird yeah, diagonal yeah. line the little, in it. Yeah, yeah. The, the axon has that as well, and they thought I'd gotten that review. I, if if ZG is listening, I'd love that phone. Um, I hear good things about it, and I just I know they didn't have a lot to go around for the U.S. media, so, um, I'd love to play with it. But to me, I love the hardware aesthetics of this phone, and I think they nailed the concept of mixing a gaming phone with yes. a flagship. There, I think that they're compromising a little bit on the gaming experience. By the camera bump getting in the way and the lack of headphone jack, the lack of stereo speakers, I think is also a mess because if you're at home in your own bedroom or whatever, you might not need headphones. You might want to just play with the stereo speakers and then mono is just not going to cut it for gaming when you have this beautiful 140, 40 Hertz display in front of you, right? But this is how they save money, right? They save money on the no fan. And yes, they have, you know, a cooling pipe and all that. But we all know, and you correct me if I'm wrong, because you are more technical on your analysis, uh, your benchmarks and stuff. But we have seen consistently, at least the few benchmarks that I run on hot hardware for the Snapdragon 888 devices I've tested, we've seen consistently that the 888 overheats, right? Like it just gets really hot. Yeah. Is this a uh, a truth or the 888? Can we get around it in any way other than putting a fan?
1: But this is this is this is something that uh, I I believe you actually touched on last week with the OnePlus throttling thing. Uh, the the one the, the 888 does seem to have heating issues. Um, it does run hot i don't know if you'd necessarily call it heating issues or just more so a byproduct of how it works in its design right it gets very hot under load uh, to the point that i mean like i said with this phone uh, it seems to try to push it as far as possible but then i was nearly burning my fingers on the shoulder triggers um it gets really really hot and that's been consistently across every single 888 device uh all of them just get hot and then they throttle yeah, if you run like wildlife. The Mi 11 Ultra, same thing.
0: Yeah, if you run like a benchmark like 3D Mark Wildlife, uh, the sustained test, right? Yeah. Almost every Snapdragon 888 just falls off a cliff after five, 10 minutes. Yep. And, and the only exception so far for me has been the Mi 11, believe it or not. Really? It degraded, but very linearly and in very little overall. You should get your yeah. hands on one, try it out. I don't know what they're doing for cooling there. I mean, the thing gets really hot, but it somehow, whether it's in a case or not, manages to sustain its performance. You know, it drops, but not like, you know, that typically you see like a hysteresis yeah. curve where it goes like, Dah, and then boop. And, and then, then it just crashes. yeah. This is more like very, very linear. And the end curve mm. at, after the 20-minute test is much higher than, say, Galaxy S21 or even like, I think the OnePlus 9 is the most recent 888 I did benchmarks on. But look, the reality is, what I'm trying to point out here is that this thing is going to have all these issues because it just yeah. doesn't have the right. I mean, it has good cooling, but this, the 888 combined with no fan is. You pretty much need a fan if you have an 888. I think I always kind of yeah. thought the fan was cool, pardon the pun, but like interesting <laughs> to have, like on the Red Magic phones built in. Cause I was like, yeah, some active cooling. If you're playing for two hours on end, it makes sense. But I always thought it was maybe a little overkill. But I think with the 888. Yeah, a little bit of a gimmick. Yeah, we just need it now. Yeah, right? And yeah. I don't know what it does to battery. Can you actually play 2 hours on a Red Magic 6 with the fan on? Can you, I haven't tested cuz
1: I'm not enough of a gamer. Have you played a game for 2 hours on the 6R? I have not, I I haven't played it for 2 uh, 2 hours. I think the uh the longest session I had was about an hour. I was playing um I think it was the simpsons hit and run and dolphin emulator and like the the performance was consistently there it did get very hot but it wasn't actually as hot as when i ran the cpu stress test so it wasn't quite burning my fingers off but um, <laughs> it was it, it was it was definitely getting hot and I mean, like just pure eye test, I'd say it was dropping more frames as it went on. Um, and because what, what's weird with Simpsons Hit and Run anyway, and why I always use it as a benchmark is there's like loading points in the ma- as you drive around the map. Uh, right. There's loading points so it slows down for a second while it loads the next section then it runs perfectly. Um, you can then start to see that it suddenly stops running perfectly in between these loading points. And you can see it starts to drop frames, which it did start to do after about, I'd say, 15, 20 minutes. But then it was kind consistently at that level so it was still fine to play and that was my experience anyway with it awesome
0: well listen folks i'm reviewing it for hot hardware i should be out in a week or so keep an eye on my benchmarks because i'll be running wildlife which is one of our standardized benchmarks for hot hardware so and i'll be running a wildlife uh sustained test and i will have a good comparison versus these other two phones that i recently mentioned the oneplus nine pro the mi 11 and uh yeah i mean if you're buying this phone because you want specs be aware that you're going to get those specs, but you're you are you know making some compromises, right? Yeah, the most obvious one, I think, is the ergonomics for playing games, right? Yeah. And then, like, I think that it really should have had stereo audio. I can live without the headphone jack to some extent. The port positioning is an issue, but you you, you mentioned yourself, it gets in the way a little bit, but you can use a, a wired adapter so yeah. these these are some of the compromises. no fan, obviously. Of course, uh, the whole punch, uh, 144 versus 165 hertz display, I, I doubt you'll notice. Like, yeah. I don't know if people really notice, but for me, I think 144 is for gaming is, even for gaming, for most games, it's overkill. A lot of them yeah. don't support it, right? So yeah, you're going to get that performance. And RAM and storage are solid and fast. I'm pretty sure they're using DDR5 and, and UFS yeah. 3.1 here. So you're getting all those specs. But then battery life, eh, 4,500 milliamp hour or whatever it is, is not that great, right?
1: Yeah, it has, um, I believe it has pass-through support so that you can run it off the charger instead so it's not draining the battery. Uh, But I mean, again, you still run into the same issue then where it's, you know, there's something going into the USB-C port that's hurting your hands. Uh, But one one thing that you kind of touched on there that uh, I wanted to say about this phone as well is that I think part of why they can get away with removing some of the features like uh, dual speakers and things like that is that uh, as you as you mentioned like this is a phone that's like a hybrid of the two a normal phone and a gaming phone and the target market of this is like you said as well the people who may consider themselves slightly above average in terms of their interest in gaming but they're not like hardcore into it so maybe for those kind of people this phone actually fits the bill because they're not expecting all these super gaming features they just want to have a slightly more enhanced experience uh, yeah and you you're getting the triggers right so that's i yeah. think a big improvement over a regular f-
0: uh, non-gaming phone and i think that's the thing yeah. to keep in mind a lot of people are very adamant that if they're gaming that they want the trigger buttons and if you don't get the trigger buttons well it's no fun, and in this yeah. case, you're still getting like a phone that's a bit more compact, a bit more manageable in your pocket, and and doesn't scream gaming phone when you pull it out. But then you you know you start playing a game and you get those shoulder buttons and you get the 144 yeah. hertz refresh. So I think in that sense, they they've nailed that. The software, as I said, is meh. The hardware is really well made. I want to point out that this is a 499 US dollar phone that is an aluminum and glass sandwich. There's no plastic here. This is properly done. It's, you know, well-made and that's refreshing to see because so many phones like OnePlus 9, plastic made frame, you know, Galaxy S21, plastic back. And I think that doesn't really matter to a lot of people. They put their phone in a case. But as someone who has reviewed every phone since 2005 almost, it feels like at least every important phone, I, I get really annoyed that we even got to a point at one point with the Moto G series where you could buy an, a glass and aluminum Moto G, like I think it was a G6, for 200, 250 US dollars. Yeah. No compromises in build quality. And then we went back to, you know, plastic everywhere. And I think yeah. BBK is probably the worst offender here with the Oppo brand going all plastic on the Renos. Remember how nice and well-made, the early Reno phones were all glass and aluminum, and now you buy...
1: The Reno 10X Zoom, that was so good.
0: exactly. I mean, the current Renos, don't get me wrong, they're really nice phones, but you touch them and you're like, what is this? It just feels like (laughs) plastic wonderland. It feels like Fisher-Price, like... They're very shiny Fisher Price. Like they have these rainbow finishes and like really cool. Yeah. Like don't get me wrong. Like I get the wow factor, but it just annoys me that they make compromises, especially since the Reno phones aren't really that cheap, even in yeah. their own respective markets. They're, somehow Oppos managed to position themselves as a premium brand in India. When you look at their phones, you're like, there's nothing premium about this. The specs are pretty average. They're nice phones. The software is yeah. good. The hardware is good. But it's not well made in terms of materials, and yeah. that bothers me. Like, and now we're starting to see that kind of filter in OnePlus, right? Uh, I don't know. Like, I'm I'm still glad at least the Oppo Find X3 Pro was no compromise in terms of yes. build and materials. It's good to know they still do it. But this phone, 499, gives you that fit and finish, and it gives you those specs. You know, if you can live with the weirder software and some of the weird decisions around gaming. I think you'll be fine. I think what would stop me personally from using this phone as my daily driver, as a flagship, is the camera system. And I think it's not for lack of good hardware. Actually, the Sony IMX 682 in there is a you know a detuned version of the 686. But on this case, yes, you're not getting OIS because 499. Okay, I accept that. I don't like it. I accept it though. But more importantly, you're getting this. The tuned version, I think that the only difference is it can't do 8K, whatever. Like there is some restrictions on it. But it
1: was some weird one that other flagship phones that like with the 888. Have, yeah, but yeah. basically
0: the the 682 and the 686 are very similar, in the same way as the 586 and the 582 are very similar as well. And they're good sensors from Sony, and I think I'm sure the optics are on par. You know, you get an ultra-wide, it's nothing spectacular. You get a macro lens. Eh, it's better than the macro lens on the, uh, on the 6 because it's a 5-megapixel macro lens, but it has no autofocus, so it's completely useless. The, yeah. the 6 also has no autofocus on its 2-megapixel. And then you get the, the, the last camera as a sticker cam, what I like to call sticker cameras because it, it's there, but like who knows how they use it. It's a 2-megapixel depth sensor. But you get a better camera in front, are the results better i mean i'm talking about the hardware here right now i think in terms of hardware it hits the spot it matches a good mid-ranger for the cameras but the software is a complete mess like it doesn't have a good imaging pipeline they don't know how to process these images and the camera app oh my god yeah can i ask you what you think of that because it just drives me nuts
1: i uh, see like it's it's fine for a point and shoot and that's about it. <laughs> that's about all of well, it. Is. I would
0: argue that it's not, because here's the problem. You can't get to the ultra wide until you go to pro mode. Yeah, you're right actually. But okay, get this. This has been an issue since the Red Magic 3. I told the Red Magic PR folks, I said, you know, look, I know it's your first phone with an ultra wide, but why is the ultra wide only available in pro mode? And also why doesn't it do HDR? Because in Pro Mode there's no HDR, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're like, uh well, you know like They're scratching their head, like virtually scratching their head in their email and going, oh, we don't know. Uh." So I was like, okay, can you fix that for next time? Red Magic 5G comes out, same problem. Red Magic 6 comes out, same problem. Red Magic 6R comes out. You'd think that with this phone, this was their chance, right? They're like, okay, we're making a mainstream gaming phone. That's actually insanity. No, but here's the funny thing, Adam. I have a bunch of Nubia phones that are two years old now, like the double screen one. Yeah, yeah. It has a perfectly good ultra-wide button in the main camera app. (laughs) Like, what? So I think that, I bet you the software is very similar between these two phones, the 6 and the 6R. They're just, you know, a few things, like a few settings missing, like all the fan settings. But I think, you know, this is the problem. Put the Google camera app on there, and all of a sudden, it's like, in many cases, we've seen this before. It's a revelation. This this hardware is solid for the camera app. But here's the problem I have, and you're you're on xDA so you might have an a lot to say here I feel that there is no proper Google Gcam camera port that's user friendly out there. I have never found one that fully works out of the box download the apk install it, and you're good to go I've tried so many different phones so many different builds of Gcam and I just end up being frustrated because half the features work half don't half of it yeah. crashes my phone it's like I get it. A lot of people are working hard. It's a hobby. I'm grateful those folks are out there doing what they're doing. But we need the community to come together. You create a database that's clear for the average user. You put in your phone number or name, whatever, and boom, it gives you one APK. Yeah. Even if it has to repackage that APK and put the settings in it, like somehow on the server side, this is something XDA should work on. I think you know maybe I'll tell Narav to look into this. (laughs) I think that. It will be a service to the community. And I don't think it's necessarily the developers who have to do the work. It'd yeah. be great to have... Like To me, what's daunting is I go to XT, I type in Red Magic 6R GCam or whatever, or I do that yeah. on Google. And I get nothing because this phone is so new. So I go to Red Magic yeah. 6 or Red Magic 5G, whatever, because you know I'm thinking, yeah. well, if it supports... It's a, a re-
1: related phone, yeah.
0: Yeah, related phones. And I find stuff, but then I find seven APKs. I'm like, no, I'm not going to try seven APKs and guess. So if you're adventurous, if you're that kind of person who is not daunted by the idea of trying 10 different Gcam APKs, this phone will take really good fixtures but might not work on all the lenses with a Gcam APK. And in that sense, if all you want is the main camera working properly, that camera is supported to death. The IMX682 is, is... a run-of-the-mill Sony sensor, super high quality, super popular on many phones. You should be okay. So yeah, but out of the box, oh
1: boy, that software is bad. This is, this is the thing with those uh, those GCam ports. Is so I. I wrote, I believe, what was the first major report about GCam because I, the the original developer who ported GCam uh, four years ago was a friend of a friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, his, his name was uh, BSG and it was on the four PDA forums. He was a Ukrainian friend of mine. And um, so I was put in contact and I wrote the article for XDA about this. And what was interesting about that port was it was made purely for what I believe was the OnePlus 3. So it was made with the OnePlus 3 in mind. It worked perfectly on the OnePlus 3, and every single feature worked. And then as it was brought down, it was primarily focused on OnePlus phones. And then they realized, hold on, we can, we can modify these just to work for generic SOCs. And then they had it working on generic SOCs. So at the time, it was the Snapdragon 820. They had it working on different 820 devices. And then... Came the issues with uh, camera drivers on different phones mm-hmm. and I all that, that stuff. Yeah, yeah, and so it ended up becoming a bit of a mess. Uh, whenever there needed to be a new port for a new phone, there had to be loads of testing done, trying to get it working with new sensors. And nowadays, you have what's effectively become fragmentation with GCam, wherein you have seven or eight different APKs from all different port- uh, the developers who are all porting it their own way, and. Some features work, some don't. And I've heard of people having like two different GCAM installations just for different features on their phone. Yeah,
0: no, and, and I get it. Look, you know, I was a software engineer in video games. I understand how the world works. I just feel that it's very daunting, even for somebody who's technical like me. You know, it's it kind of harkens back to the day of like, when I why I give up putting custom ROMs on my phone? Because I was yep. just like, I don't even know where to start and what to do. It's, it's like not what to do in terms of technical step, but like what to do in terms of making a decision. And yeah. this is to be a working tool for me. Like I know some people like to put ROMs on non-everyday phones and I get that. You know, if they have the time to do it and the time to explore it, awesome. But for me at the time, it was like, I have one or two at the time, maybe three phones flying around and I want to try stuff and having custom ROMs is fun. But it stopped being fun because I just couldn't make up my mind as to what to download and you yeah. know, stuff would randomly stop working and then updates wouldn't work. And, and I get all this. It's like, you know, the Hackintosh community. I did a lot of Hackintosh yeah. projects and I understand. But I feel like GCAM is such a, you know, good thing to have that at this point, perhaps the community can come together and try to streamline the process a little bit. You know, the average person is not going to install a ROM, but I think you're going to get more uptake with GCAM, especially if you can centralize it a little more like that. Yeah. And then maybe Google will start looking at it and go like, oh, look at what the community is doing, you know? And, you know, I don't see them supporting, you know, other phones because they want to sell pixels, obviously. But I think that... They might maybe give us old versions like last year's Gcam, you know, blessed yeah. by Google in the app store works on, you know, Samsung phones, OnePlus phones, like, I don't know, like the, the main phones, you know, and that yeah. would be great to have. Right. But I think for that to happen, I think Google needs to feel the heat. And for them to feel the heat, I think the community needs to come together somehow. Yeah. Yep. And I think there's enough people waiting to fiddle out there. clearly so maybe be less cryptic on when you describe what you've done on XDA forums to tell person like me who just got a phone and is looking for an APK what to do. Like, I'm not expecting a 6R APK for GCam right now. That phone is barely out. But I expect yeah. like a Red Magic 5G APK to be out there that's a year old and solid and has all the features and hasn't possibly been tweaked much since like November or something, that would yeah. make sense to me right now. Yeah. Um, but that's not the case. <laughs> <And Yeah>. so, <laughs> anyway, I could go on. But the, yeah, if you're buying this phone, again, the caveat is not that the camera hardware is poor, but it's that the camera app and the imaging pipeline as implemented by Nubia Red Magic is lacking. Yeah. You're not going to even get the same results as you would get on a three dollars $400 mid-range phone at this point. It's bleak. Yeah. Doesn't mean you can't take good photos. It's just, you know, it falls apart in all the fringe scenarios that are typically difficult, like HDR and, and low light and zooming in and all these things are going to be compromised. If you're just hitting a, a good light, the auto button on the main camera, on the main app, You'll be okay. Well, you can't
1: do that in the ultra-wide anyway. You have to go to pro mode. And <laughs> well, yeah, for
0: the ultra-wide, uh, the ultra is not that great a sensor and lens anyway, so I wouldn't yeah. worry too much. It's there if you need it, serviceable, but it's not great. Um, and don't buy this phone for selfies. Like, duh, you know? Yeah. But it does have a better selfie cam on paper than the 6, the gaming phone. So perhaps if you are a Twitcher who likes to live stream your face at the same time as you play a game, maybe maybe this is a better choice but i have a feeling that the legion with the pop up camera on the side yeah. thing or depending on where you hold the phone uh, might be a better choice but it's twice the price right so again it's it's a matter of your perspective so let's switch gears real quick and speak about this Huawei Watch Fit Elegant what a weird name can you walk us through kind of the fact that there's also a regular Huawei Watch Fit and also that this is part of the watch series
1: and not the bands. Yes, talk about that. So, from my understanding, the Huawei Watch Fit is now actually the Huawei Watch Fit Active. Um, okay. So the the, the I, I mentioned this in my review because that's that's what I was told by PR anyway when I reached out because I was very confused about the uh, the naming scheme for this. Uh, it seems to just be the Huawei Watch Fit so the watch fit active with more premium materials that's that's what i was told and it's a more focus on being uh, as, as in the name elegant design uh so it's more to be a fashion product with some fitness band features than actually necessarily a fitness band in and of itself Uh, And that was what I believe is the goal of this product was to be that weird thing that bridges the gap between fashion and fitness so that you're not going all out on a fitness product that you can't really wear elsewhere because it doesn't look nice and without going all out on a fashion product that you can't also use when you're going running and stuff. I think that was the idea behind it.
0: Yeah, I think you, you nailed it. I do think that the fact that it has the name Watch in it implies it's part of the watch line too. So the idea is that this is not a fitness band, even the active one. It's more of a watch with great fitness features that is more affordable because it is closer to a fitness band in design and specs. That's yeah. kind of the feeling. So in, in a way, they've created a new category because I don't know if you had a chance to play with like the Huawei Band 5 or I think they have the, they have they now have the Band 6 or something. But those things are great.
1: I did get to use
0: one, yeah. They're just as good as this uh, watch fit model, but smaller and a smaller screen. And they're really purely, I think, a fitness band. And for some people, they wear this all day because they don't use it for notifications or even telling the time. They just want to keep track of their steps and exercises and stuff. But this is a little more. This has a big enough display that you can use it as a watch. You can use it to tell time. It's more readable. It's No, it's n- not very bright. I mean, it's a lot of smart watches are not very bright in direct sunlight. Yeah. That's that's always the case, especially here in California. But I think that it's manageable. It's, it's, it's fine. It's just nicer to have a display that you can actually glance at and tell the time, whereas I find a lot of fitness bands you can't have an analog display on them. You pretty much need a digital display. And then it, yeah. if it's not landscape, like if it's not sideways on your wrist, it's kind of yeah. hard to tell the time at a glance, even if it has one of those activate by tilting your wrist things. So this thing I feel like is the best compromise between a proper smartwatch and a fitness band. And it incorporates some smartwatch features like notifications, but it doesn't do them very well. You can't; They're not actionable yeah. in any way. It's very much like the OnePlus Watch that I reviewed. In fact, it's very much like any Huawei band. If you've ever used any Huawei or Honor band of any kind, this Huawei Watch Fit Elegant is exactly the same interface, pretty much. There's a button, which you don't get on the uh, on the bands. On the bands, there's a capacitive like, home button in the front, but this has a, yeah. a, an actual physical button on the side. So the interface is slightly reworked for that, but it's all gestures and... And honestly, I love it. I think it's really well done. The battery life is phenomenal. I have the always-on display turned on. And even with the always-on display, I'm still going three, four days. Yeah. And that's the other thing. You have an always-on display, which you don't get an option on their bands. And I like my watches to always tell the time, even though they're sitting idle there on my desk, off of my wrist, doing nothing. I'm one of those people. I will wear out that OLED and buy a new
1: fitness band two years down the road. I don't care. Because they're cheap. How much is this? I think it's €120 Euro off the top of my head, somewhere around that price range. It's yeah. um not, not the worst. Like, they're way more expensive fitness bands.
0: Right. And so if you want the metal case and that's something that looks and feels a little more premium, I suggest you buy this elegant version. And if you want the more affordable model, buy the plastic version, right? And the, there's not much of a difference in price, it looks like. So it's really up to you. Like... Do you think that you're going to be rough and tumble with it? And, you know, you want it to look pristine. Maybe the, uh, you know, the active is your best bet because plastic wears a little better than uh, stainless steel, which does scratch. Although I have been wearing this for several weeks now and I have hit, you know, I don't know if I've hit concrete walls or anything with my wrist, but I've definitely hit wood wood walls and wood things in my house, which is mostly wood. And I have not seen a single scratch on either the glass, which is curved, which is really cool. It's curved, it follows the contour of your wrist and or on the casing itself. So yeah, it looks like, it's interesting. The best way to see this, and I'll put a link in the show notes to Adam's review, but the best way to think of this is imagine an Apple watch that's slightly thinner and elongated. So lengthwise, so Take the rectangle of the Apple Watch and stretch it to more of a rectangle. And that's essentially the cosmetic design of this watch. And of course, remove the crown. Keep that single button. And that's what you get. And it's actually a pretty nice, I think it's very, not just elegant because it is the elegant model, but even the Active, I think it's a really good looking design. I think that it is less fitness bandy and more watchy, which is why I guess they put it in a watch category. And the more display real estate, I think it's an interesting take on either a smartwatch or a fitness band.
1: Yeah, like the, the thing that I really liked about it was, and I guess light OS has done this weird thing with me where it has grown on me over the years. I remember I used to have the original Huawei watch, which had Wear OS on it.
0: Oh, I love that watch so much.
1: Yeah, I, I loved it. I was a huge, huge fan of it. And then I reviewed, I think it was the Huawei Watch GT2e a, a long while after. And I switched to it and I was like, "What? what is this? Like, this is LightOS, <laughs> there's nothing on it. Uh, and over time, it has grown on me because I'm kind of, I can see the benefits of, well, it being light. Like there's, it has all the features that you need in the sense of like for fitness tracking, etc. And sure notifications, not being actionable is actually something that really annoys me. Uh, I mainly keep the watch actually in do not disturb mode most of the time because otherwise yeah. it's just vibrating and it's like, I can't do anything with the notifications. So
0: there's no point.
1: Yeah. And, and 100%. it's, it's- it's things like that, that um, while I guess those are useful, nearly all the other features are at least well fleshed out and are actually useful. So the GPS tracking, for example, I've been using this when I go out on walks and stuff, uh, tracks perfectly fine outdoors. Uh, I've been using it for step counting and all the sleep tracking. And even the stress monitoring thing is more just kind of a thing I look at to kind of go, "What? how did it get that I was highly stressed there when I was sleeping? <laughs> things like that. So. Yeah. But, uh, it's, 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 it's interesting. It has
0: all the features. Like, you know, it has the heart rate monitoring, it has the blood oxygen level. It has really good sleep tracking. That's one of the reasons I started wearing a a Huawei tracker. So in the daytime I would wear like a, usually I was wearing a Samsung galaxy watch with Tizen. I think watch two or whatever it was. And then I would wear a, um, huawei band at night i would switch right yeah and the huawei band as you said was always on do not disturb was always just you know display off basically just to track my sleep and it was great and then you know i got a huawei watch gt2 pro the really fancy one with the yes
1: i had one of those as well the
0: sapphire glass and the titanium and honestly i love 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 that watch but the design is great it's incredible but i think that you know as you said it's the same essentially OS as you have on this Huawei Watch Fit Elegant yeah and it's it's the same kind of OS you saw on the OnePlus watch which I personally didn't ding it like a lot of people didn't like the OnePlus watch but I knew what I was getting into because I immediately when they said it wasn't Android wear I was like there's no way OnePlus developed their own thing this is an yeah. off the shelf chinese you know fitness band OS of some kind that they're probably using on Apple Watches and and Realme yeah. Watches. And sure enough, you know, people got really upset about this. And of course, the fact that some features actually were buggy, but they fixed all the bugs. Since then, I've installed all the updates on my OnePlus Watch and it's been fine. But if you go into it expecting it to not be like an Apple Watch or an Android Wear Watch or a Tizen Watch, but being more like the functionality of a fitness band with a really beautiful casing, beautiful watch faces that you can set. They're, you know, slightly customizable, but not much. If you go into it like that, but then also want great sleep tracking, step tracking, workout tracking, and incredible battery life, these are the products for you, right? That being said, I am expecting to get a Huawei Watch 3 to review soon. And that has the new Harmony OS version on there. So I'll be interesting to see how that pans out. And of course, you know, we're going to talk about this in a second, but Samsung is going to bring that uh, that new watch with Wear OS, so the new Wear OS, so that should yeah. be really interesting as well. So I think we've got a lot coming uh, that's very exciting. I've really enjoyed Tizen from Samsung on my watch, but because it doesn't fully integrate with Google, you know, I'm a, such a Google user, like having a system on my wrist is always nice. But Wear yeah. OS was always kind of terrible in my opinion and tyson was better but tyson didn't give me the functionality i wanted but the battery life was better as well so like if they can marry yeah. the two i'm in right
1: yeah so
0: that's kind of kind of where i'm at with all this but in the meantime i'm very happy with this and i wear it almost every day because now i sleep in it because it's got the sleep tracking I love yep. and I wear it during the day for my step tracking, but I actually have notifications turned on on this and I find oh. it that I'm filtering just a few and it's just great. Cause it's like, I get the few that I need. I get my phone calls, which I always miss. Yeah. And it's good enough. And I put it manually and do not disturb at night. I just like have the habit yeah, now of yeah. just turning it on and it works out pretty well. I've got the always on display on mine. So my battery life is not a week, but it's more like three, four days, you know?
1: Yeah, that's that's been more or less my experience with it in terms of battery life. I think as well that the sleep tracking on Huawei watches has always been stellar. Like it's they've it's been very, very good, even like if I just fall asleep in the middle of the day, like happened to be the day I was lying on the couch, I fell asleep. It actually like it detected it, even though it was just middle of the day and I had no reason to be expecting it. But it got like my 20 minute nap that it detected and it picked that up mainly from i'd say lower heart rate and no movement whereas i feel like some other watches i i know for a fact when i had the fitbit that i tested out a couple of years ago i can't remember which one it was it struggled with picking up like if i fell asleep in the middle of the day or even just falling asleep at night it often struggled uh so that's the thing yeah
0: no i I think you're 100 percent right i've tried so many different watches so far And none of them match the Huawei Bands or the Huawei Watch GTs, at least, in terms of sleep tracking performance. It's tremendous. And I would add that Apple has a long, long way to go here. Like, you pretty much have to install third-party apps on Apple Watch if you want to get something that comes close to auto-tracking. Like, the fact that Apple still forces you to set a go to bedtime and wake up time to kind of force you into a regular pattern. I get it. Like medically that makes sense. Like you want to have a regular sleep pattern. That is not the reality we all live in. Okay. As you said, I should be able to feel exhausted since we all work at home. A lot of us do while we are those of us who are in tech media, at least, you know, like I just want to lie down. I just lie on my bed for 20 minutes, have a power nap, And I want that watch to keep track of that. And guess what? It does. And like that should be normal. Like the fact that Apple hasn't been able to figure this out just blows my mind.
1: Yeah. No, it's it's insanity. Like it's it's (sighs) such like a basic feature you would think, but. All right, we got a bunch of news. We
0: should go through real quick. There are leaks. There are rumors. There's some news. We've seen a leak of the Pixel Six and Six Pro. So, what are your thoughts on this?
1: Uh, I think. Google has been doing weird things with the Pixel line. I think what the rumored Pixel 5a, like I know this is the 6 and 6 Pro, but the rumored Pixel 5a confuses the hell out of me. The Pixel 4a 5G and then the Pixel 5 were so similar that as well that it just confused me too. I didn't get really what they were going for. I think the Pixel 6 and the 6 Pro, they clearly have an actual differentiation between the two that makes sense that if this is what materializes and if these specs, etc are correct I think that this could well be Google kind of deciding right well we're putting in the foot we're going to give it everything we're going to give it our all to make this an actually good flagship and a good like budget oriented flagship along with it because the, the five was just weird I loved the pixel five but it, I, it felt like Google went a bit weird with the pixel line Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Even the Pixel 4 where they had, was it the Pixel 4 where the the screen was like the the other way around and so you had like the jelly effect and everything? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's just been, it's been really weird stuff out of the Pixel line. So I'm excited to see what happens here. I did not adopt the
0: Pixel 4 series primarily because of the lack of fingerprint sensors and mini apps not working properly with the Face ID. I did not adopt the Pixel 5 because I want a flagship and also I want a bigger screen. And honestly, I think for last year, the the 4A 5G, which is supposedly identical to the 5A 5G, is my choice to people because it's the best balance. Yeah, it lacks wireless charging, which for me is important, but you get a lot of other great stuff out of that. So the reason I haven't covered the 5A rumors much is because I feel like if it's going to be almost the same, what's the point, right? But the six rumors I think are very interesting. It seems like you know, we've discussed this on a few other shows as well. And it's like the fact that we're finally getting a real, no-compromise flagship from Google potentially here is yeah. really exciting. The specs look really hot. I will link to an XDA developer story by Michael Rahman, of course. And check out the specs, folks. It's really great, particularly the cameras. Uh, the rear camera on the Pro, 50 megapixel wide. I think this could be a Sony IMX 766. Or something else from, hopefully from Sony, not from Samsung, a 48 megapixel telephoto, which is interesting because that means that they probably have a two or three x optical zoom, and then they're counting on some, you know, of that hyper zoom or whatever they call it, technology to get even closer to things. Yeah. And then the 12 megapixel ultra. If it's anything like the 12 megapixel ultra that's already on the Pixels, I think it's fine. I mean it's not spectacular but I think it'll do the job especially with the the kind of image processing we're expecting from Google right?
1: Yeah, I think as well what'll be interesting is that people often talk about with Google they seem to be leaning on that was the IMX363 that's in the Pixel yeah, 5 and the 4 and the 3 <laughs> and yeah like it's it's it seems like they're finally doing something different and I would be curious to see then will they end up having the same kind of step up and image quality from the sensor they'll use for the pixel six over the competition that uses the same sensor. Like we got with them and the IMX 363 because I'm hoping I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm curious if it will just end up being like average for that sensor or if Google will manage to pull off something spectacular with it. And especially if they're controlling the processor, because it's Whitechapel, right. Um, as, as, as rumored anyway, um, If they're controlling that, they control the image pipeline, they control the ISP, they know exactly everything about the chip hardware that it's going to be going through. So they have control over the whole system as opposed to using a system developed by somebody else. So it could have really good results.
0: It has to, like they cannot disappoint. They have been the leader. You know, in my opinion, I would still rather shoot on Pixel than anything else, even though I have a Mi eleven Ultra here, which is incredible. I have a Galaxy S twenty one Ultra, which is also incredible. I have, you know, iPhones, I have I have all the things and I'm every time it comes down to critical, I pull out a Pixel four A five G right now or a Pixel yep. five and just shoot away. I always have one somewhere nearby even though it's not my main phone. My main phone, I'm still on a OnePlus 8 Pro because last year I finally switched to OnePlus 8. After stretching my Pixel 3 XL ownership into the OnePlus 8 Pro ownership, which I'm now stretching until the Pixel 6 because obviously I could have switched to the OnePlus 9 Pro, which would have made sense, but I don't feel like I should. It's just... I was going to and then I saw this I started seeing the Pixel Six rumors and I'm like yeah. Finally and you know again I'm not gonna throw all the specs because we are you know a little, little short on time but I wanna tell you folks these are these specs don't make me question anything. I look at them and I'm like, yep, flagship, yep. Like twelve gigs of RAM base on the Pixel Six Pro. Finally, like hello, get with the program. This is real. Like, yes. Yep. Five twelve gigabyte storage option, not for me. But I know a lot of you who are watching and listening right now are like, oh, yeah, because you know, it doesn't have micro SD, right? And so, of course, you drop the tele on the main camera on the 6 versus the Pro, and that's fine. You know, you make your decision. You want a smaller phone, you get a smaller phone. Awesome. You want a bigger phone, you get all the beans. Hopefully, it still has wireless charging because that's a must-have for me. And, um, you know, honestly, I have never been this excited about a Pixel since maybe the the two, because I think the three, there was enough leaks that we got the bathtub notch leak.
1: Yeah. early, yeah.
0: And we were all going, we were all shaking our heads going, what are they thinking? And that was the beginning of what are they thinking?
1: There's one thing as well. Uh, you'll be glad to know that it does seem that, um, there will be a Pixel stand, a new Pixel stand with faster wireless charging launched alongside the uh, Google Pixel Six uh, that was found through APK deep dives by ourselves and all, like at XDA and also uh, at nine to five Google, who also corroborated some of our findings. Yeah, so.
0: yeah, I think we we had that in the show a little while back. But um, yeah. look this is good this is good news let's lump all the oneplus news together real quick so we all know there's a oneplus nord 2 coming and some buds pro coming alongside it the you know the rumored time event whatever maybe it's been confirmed now is july 22nd is this is this real or is this still uh, we're not sure
1: i think um because that's soon yeah july 22nd i i'm not sure i think because they confirmed some stuff I don't they know. They confirmed the 1200 AI, and they confirmed the display. Um, so they could well have come out and also have confirmed the uh, the the launch date as well.
0: Yeah. So all I know, all we know is I'm going to link to a few things here. Someone at XDA interviewed. Oliver Zhang of OnePlus and got some really good intel on why they went with MediaTek, the Dimensity 1200 on this and a bunch of other really nice little tidbits. So check that out. But what got me most excited is another article on XDA about the camera and it looks like it's going to have the same 50 megapixel sensor, the Sony IMX 766 that we have on the OnePlus 9. And my gut feeling is if the 9 doesn't have OIS, the uh, Nord 2 won't have OIS, right? But that's going to bug me. But I just want to put it out there for those folks that are paying attention to this kind of detail. It's going to be problematic, but it doesn't mean it's going to be bad. So keep an eye on that. I think, you know, we're not going to get this Nord in North America. The Nord in North America is is about the cheap phones, right? The affordable phones like the Nord N200 5G I recently reviewed. So, you know, it's unfortunate. I don't know if we're going to get to review this phone in North America. I haven't heard anything from OnePlus and they're very close to me, so I'm surprised. That indicates that North American media are not going to get access to this phone, unfortunately. I did get to review the OnePlus Nord last year. They sent me one with the very clear caveat that it wasn't coming to the U.S. Or at the time it was, a Nord will be coming to the U.S. of some kind, but not this one. So we were kind of hooked at that point, and then we got disappointed. (laughs) Yeah. But um, this looks like it will be a solid update. and, And I think I felt the Nord last year was such a great phone. For the money, then I really hope they can continue. I want to see a glimmer of OnePlus's old ways, you know, coming through some of their products. We know their flagship line is now their flagship line. By the way, another news story I didn't put in the show notes, but I will add is that the OnePlus 9 Pro base model is not coming to the US and Canada for sure now.
1: So, oh, I saw that. Yeah.
0: If you have been waiting for that slightly, more cost-effective OnePlus 9 Pro, go buy the big one because that's, that's you know, or wait for the Pixel 6 and call it a day, (laughs) is what I say. You want a true enthusiast phone, that's going to be it, I feel. But look, OnePlus is going to continue making great flagship and compete more and more with Samsung at the high end. They're going to continue making really nice, really, really worthy, at least for North America's market, not for India because that's where they have Oppo and they have Realme. But for this market, they're going to continue making really accessible, really good affordable Nord N-series phones, you're not going to get this Nord 2 here, but in some markets, that middle ground flagship killer-ish product is going to exist in the regular Nord. And I think that's good to see. I'm kind of hoping and or glad that Pete Lau is realizing that there was a bit of a misstep here, maybe, in messaging. And that they're maybe rectifying this with these products. And their buds have been great. The Buds Regular, I love. The yes, Buds Z I was a are huge good fan too. Of those. And the Buds Pro, if they're any good, I'm going to be I would I would bet right now that they're going to be pretty great. So maybe the Buds will come to the US. Who knows? I'm gonna actually ping OnePlus and see what's going on with all this. So stay yeah. tuned, folks. So that's it for the OnePlus stuff. And then of course we need to talk about Samsung because, well, okay. So the the August 11th date is still a rumor, but almost everything has been spilled now for what's going to be announced at Unpacked, right? Yeah,
1: yep. There has even been... if you look at some of the stuff that got leaked, it was actually DMCA'd as well by Samsung, which basically confirms that it's real. Not that there was any doubt, it was EV leaks anyway, but now it's it, it, it's nearly official in the sense of it's getting taken down by Samsung, which is just crazy that there's so much having been leaked about the event. It's allegedly coming in August 11th, uh, there's no reason to believe it's not, and there's still no official announcement and typically i was looking at previous years it was around now or even last week would have been when like early to mid-july they'd announced yeah it. they
0: usually have a couple of weeks at least it may be more than that buffer between yeah so i mean it's clearly going to be a virtual event i have a feeling that the reason they're not out to us media yet with it is because they don't
1: expect us to go anywhere for it yeah here's the youtube link <laughs>
0: yeah, we'd have to start having to plan. So Galaxy Z Fold 3, thinner, under display camera in the front, but we you know these are like some of the highlights. We know everything else is pretty much the same. and 888, of course. You know, more better cameras, etc. Z flip three, bigger front display, eight eighty eight, but basically the same. Maybe slightly more compact design as last year. Great phones the flips last year, so hopefully this will continue. Don't expect more than two cameras in the front though. Uh, I mean, in the back, but it's the front one. It's Oh, this is getting complicated. Okay, Galaxy Watch 4, of course. Galaxy Watch 4 Classic. Galaxy Buds 2. So the Buds 2 are interesting because it seems they've really come out with a lot of buds in a short time. Like last year, it was like three different sets, right? Yeah. It's like really mudding the waters for me. It's like I don't understand why they're doing it. Like, you know, look at Apple. They have two sets, and it's pretty straightforward. You get the nice ones, or you get the cheap yeah. ones, you know? Like, I feel like you're you're walking into a minefield when you go out there with the intent on buying some Galaxy Buds somebody
1: told me they had a pair of Galaxy Buds and they told me which ones they had and I had to look up which those were because I was like are they the good ones are they the bad ones are they the middle ones which are they do they have
0: ANC do those not ANC do those those have rubber tips or you know silicone tips or do those not like you just don't know it's like a lottery at this point yeah it's so confusing Uh, anyway so expect more Buds (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> all right let's see what else we got here oh this is a good rumor it's kind of come and gone we've heard it back in april already once and that was the galaxy s22 with a 200 megapixel sensor from samsung and an olympus yes. branding at least or partnership or tie-in or think Hasselblad and one i wouldn't expect more than that frankly
1: yeah, right? no, that's that's the thing with a lot of these, a lot of these partnerships is I have very rarely actually seen some seen something good come out of them. I think what Huawei and Leica yes. might have actually been good. That uh, was good. Yeah, and then Vivo and Zeiss. it took a
0: while though. Remember, you know the P nine was the first Leica partnership. Yes, and you could see the glimmer, right? Like it was like, Oh wow. Two sensors, one monochrome, one color working together to get more data out of the, you know, they went for this dual monochrome color thing for way up to the, what the P 20 even. Right. I think So, so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this was a thing. And they by the P20, they had added OIS. It had added faster lenses like F over 1 point something instead of 2 point something. And then we were starting to see the results. And then they went crazy with the telephotos and then the ultrawides. And then here yeah. we are today where the P40 and upcoming P50 and the Mate series are all super, super baller with their Leica partnerships. And so it took a while. So we want I want to give them the benefit of the doubt here, Adam. Yes. Because... Yeah. You know, Samsung knows that they're killing it in imaging, and I think they intend to be the, continue being one of the leaders. And I think for them to do this by just slapping a brand on, I don't think it's going to be their style.
1: I think a lot of companies as well, when they partner with these phone companies, they're doing it nearly for their own brand awareness uh, more than anything else. Like, for example, Hasselblad and OnePlus. Hasselblad is gaining from being associated with a brand. But I think Olympus and Samsung, neither of them need to necessarily have that partnership to be considered good. So yes. it's go. It, the only way it can really be mutually beneficial is if there is an actual notable improvement in the cameras, particularly over rivals. So I think that it does have the potential to actually be something very good. Yeah. Um. Should it be executed correctly?
0: Yeah, I, I'm a little more cynical in the sense that I think that Olympus' sales have, you know, really plummeted in the last few years. Oh, have they? And yeah, and I think that I'm not saying it's like, they make fantastic cameras still, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. I just think that they realize they need to expand beyond making just cameras. And yes. a partnership with them, you know, with a phone company of some kind is the way a lot of companies have gone, right? Zeiss, of course, Leica, but we have Hasselblad. Hasselblad did it once with Moto and it was kind of a disaster with the Moto mod. Oh,
1: the, the 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 mod, yeah, yeah. So you
0: know the thing is you can do it wrong, you can do it right. I think there is a potentially more good reason than you think here for Olympus to hatch on to someone, but mm. I, I'm hoping it's there's more substance to it than than just marketing, right? And and let's see what happens. Like I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. This is yeah, you know, I mean we now have three companies that latched on to Zeiss. Nokia, there is Sony. And there is Vivo. All three of them yes. are have Zeiss-branded lenses on their phones or some sort of Zeiss partnership, T-Star coding on the Sonys and the Vivos. Yeah. So I'm not sure it goes beyond the coding. On Nokia, I think it's literally just a marketing thing at this point, unfortunately. <laughs> Speaking of, Nokia has been teasing us, I think I think it looks like it's real, with a rugged phone based on the X20 called the XR20, are for rugged that might be coming July 27th so if you're in the market for a really affordable kind of lower spec unbreakable phone that's not like a bullet made cat phone or a weird China Shenzhen special import uh, many brands there to be listed not that they're bad phones I've played with a couple of brands from china that made rugged phones with google play and everything and you know i go to burning man where i work in the summer where it's really rough and tumble and i've tested these phones there and they they passed the test but i feel that if you think of a you know if you want to buy a brand you can relate to like cat is a little more relatable because caterpillar blah 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 right and even though it's made by bullet but nokia making rugged phones has been you know there's been some talk about this for, you know, for a while now. They they have a reputation of making really strong, not necessarily purpose-made rugged phone. Like, you know, yeah. some of their older phones are unbreakable. So this is good. This is a good tie. And I think for some people, it's going to work well, you know?
1: Yeah, I feel like there is not necessarily an untapped market, but I think that there is a world where more rugged phones can exist and actually uh, succeed because, especially from a more known brand like Nokia, because obviously like they've been kind of pushing phone after phone after phone in Europe. And I'm starting to see them take hold. I know some friends who have like Nokia devices now when they didn't a couple of years ago. And I think it's right. been this, just pushing them into carriers and with marketing, etc. they're starting to get a foothold in some areas. So I'd be curious to see how a rugged phone from them would do particularly, as you said, with their a uh, reputation for, uh, like, strong phones and phones that don't break.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it's funny because they tease the photo here with the date, 27 July, and it literally looks like a case mounted on an X20. Yeah, it does. <laughs> like, and it could be that, like, don't get me wrong, I'm not making fun here, I'm not saying it's wrong, I'm just saying, if you removed the casing, like, the way it's manufactured today of an X20, took the same guts and remanufacture that with a more rugged casing that had the protrusion of looking like a case that's permanently attached, it wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. Like, you could make a rugged phone that way that basically looks like you putting the phone in a case, but permanently,
1: you know? Yeah, and that's the thing. I think the XR20, is the OR stands for rugged.
0: Yeah, exactly. It looks like a sandstone material or like a cork material on there too, which tells yeah. me that maybe they're going for you know those really rugged plastics that have like these freckles of different colors in them. I think it looks kind of interesting, honestly.
1: Yeah, I'd be curious because, like, I mean, Nokia, right? They they have been making some decent phones, so this could be this could be good. Like, it could actually be a good rugged phone.
0: I mean, I haven't been super impressed with the fact that they've been chasing the low and mid range so much, but yeah. this is the X twenty is a Snapdragon four eighty. You know, based phone with decent specs overall. It's yep. not the best pricing, at least in North America, compared to like the Moto's or the OnePlus's in that same uh, in that same realm. But I think they're going to be a solid option, and if that's what you're in the market for, it's like a two hundred dollar ish phone, right? 200, 250, yep. You know, because that's what the the Snapdragon four eighty based phones go for if you want the cheapest 5g phone you're going to buy a mediatek based uh Dimensity 700 phone of some kind like the poco m3 pro or something right that's i mean in in your markets that makes more sense because you know it's going to work whereas if you import that phone in the u.s you're just going to get you're lucky to get 4g at that point so it, yeah it's like, yeah
1: the band support, the band support on all these phones that you import in Europe is genu is generally perfectly fine. And then I hear from U.S. friends who are like, "I'm so jealous that you can actually use that phone." Like Xiaomi phones, this always happens where they just, from what I hear, ninety percent of them won't actually work in the U.S. So. Yeah, I mean
0: they do work, but you sometimes get relegated to three G, which is sad. Like I, yeah, my favorite flagship of 2021 so far is the Oppo Fine X3 Pro. Yeah, and. I wish I could daily drive that but the lack of band support is traumatic almost at
1: this point. That's actually that's actually my daily driver. Um oh, I switched I'm back jealous. To it after the Mi 11 Ultra. It's so good. Such
0: a great phone. Yeah. Like forget the OnePlus 9 Pro. This is the phone to get in my opinion. I mean the price difference is radical but yeah. you know since I have one and I didn't pay for it, you know, that's kind of what I'm looking at. Hey, let's wrap up quickly on this one article you wrote about the right to repair happening yes. uh, in the US. I mean, it's not happening. An executive order from our president here in the US has made it more likely that some laws will get passed around right to repair.
1: So what's your take? Well, it, it's when I was writing about this and I was talking to a friend of mine at XDA, Zachary Wander. um He was telling me about some of the stuff like with warranties, with Samsung and repairs and everything. And it has blown my mind how nearly anti-consumer a lot of these laws in the US are. Because for me, I can go out, I can buy a phone screen and maybe it's from a third party seller or whatever, but I can still buy it and repair it. And then nine times out of 10 in the EU as well, if you can prove that whatever change you made didn't actually break the phone and it was something else, they're still uh, obliged under warranty to fix it. Whereas here. It, it, it's weird in the US that there is no, uh, there hasn't really been any protections for consumers like that in any regard for making repairs. You go to the manufacturer, you get a change, that's it. You don't have a choice to go to an independent repair store, which may be cheaper. You don't have the option to make the replacement yourself if you have the skills. You only can go to the manufacturer and that's it. And I think that... Overall, given that the US is as influential as it is, I think that depending on how progressive these laws are for the right to repair, it can have ramifications on the rest of the world, particularly in Europe, where I mean, like some of these laws are good in Europe, but there's still no full right to repair that is potentially being suggested here that you could see being very good for even environmental reasons uh, where people can then go and replace a part in their phone rather than going out and buying a new one. And this is something that hopefully will materialize. Because like you said, it's an executive order. It doesn't necessarily have to happen or it may take a long time.
0: It's a step in the right direction. It's it's a hat tip from our government to say we are aware of this problem and we want to find a middle ground that works for everyone. Because there's no doubt in my mind that the US government, even though we have a, I think a better government now finally is still, you know, pro business and pro corporation. Yeah. So they, you know, they understand both sides. And I think I want to see a middle ground. I also do believe that there are some issues around. I have had iPhones replaced with parts that were subpar and I don't want that to happen to people, Yeah. but I also do want to be able to support my local repair shop. If I know they're doing a good job, uh, yeah. you know, so that I think we need to find, and you know, the car industry is a whole different ball game as well. Like, Tesla has been very, very hard to work with about getting spare parts and doing you know, small DIY repairs and stuff. They're really yes. trying to be the apple of the car ecosystem and it's not working for a lot of people because now that they're becoming very popular in North America, at least, people are kind of expecting the same level of of repairability that they get from their other cars and, you know, are surprised when they can't get it and are kind yeah. of revolting against it. As you know, the car culture in North America is very strong because we have crappy public transit and uh, we, we love our cars and we love traveling by car. So I think there is a good tie-in here with this executive orders because when it was just the phone world, really, really, right, it yeah. was one thing. But now that the car world is starting to experience some of these right-to-repair Conundrums. I think that America is going to get a little bit more, you know, pissy about it. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean America, the average people, right, that are out there. So yeah,
1: yeah. Like particularly when you think about it, like you said, there's that car culture, and this issue, the there doesn't, re- there isn't really a right to repair problem in the U.S. when it comes to cars because it's kind of assumed that you can make these repairs or you can go to people who can get the parts and it's generally okay. Whereas then you have Tesla coming along who are like, nope, you have to go to the 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 actual repair shop that supports our parts. They're the only ones who can buy them and repair them. People will then, as Tesla start to permeate the market and people buy these Teslas, they're going, wait, I can't just like replace this part. Like I have to go to this place and spend like extra money for it. And that's yep. when people will realize that this is an issue in this industry. And then... It draws attention nearly to other industries where this is a problem too.
0: Yeah, and it gets even worse when they can software break your car, right? Like yes. that's <laughs> the other thing, right? This has been a big issue with uh, people uh, rebuilding cars that are, uh, you know, have been written off, and yes. uh, they can't supercharge anymore because, you know, basically, I heard about that. Yes, Tesla puts the VIN number in a database, saying this car has been written off; it's in a junkyard somewhere, being picked for parts, which we don't like, but at least the parts that are going on other cars can't be put in because you need to code the VIN in on the computers. Yep. Like the parts won't talk to each other. So this is where I start having issues as a right to repair advocate is like when I can't buy a part from the junkyard, that's perfectly fine. And and it's something yep. I can with very limited skills put in myself, but I can't use it because the two computers won't talk to each other because I don't have the right software tools to make it happen. Or if I can't get supercharging on a car that I rebuilt, these are some things that Apple also does right like they they yeah. block at the software level these these that's when I start getting really upset about things yeah so one thing if you you know, can't fit the part in the car because it's been updated and it just won't work
1: in your car. Yeah. But it's another thing that it's just a software block, right? Yes. So. I, I remember with the uh, my, my girlfriend's iPhone, um, she needed to get uh, some data off of it before she switched over to her Android phone. But then in that time period, she ended up breaking the iPhone screen and she still needed to get the stuff off it. So I said to her, right, well, I'll replace the screen on it, etc. Because the home button was broken as well. When I made that replacement, it worked, but the home button didn't work. And when I looked it up, it's because there are encryption keys that are important in the home button. And so you can't just use any off the shelf home button. Uh, It needs to be done in an Apple repair store. And this was something that for a while, actually uh, before Apple eventually changed it, the phones just wouldn't boot if you replaced the home button. Uh, They came up with an error code. Yeah. And so she ended up having to like, there's the, you can tap a button on the screen and it brings up the the controls. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she ended up having to set that up just to get all their stuff off it because you couldn't replace the home button yourself. You had to bring it to an authorized repair store, which I thought was ridiculous. Yeah, so this is good news, folks. Uh, Keep an eye
0: on this space, especially if you're based in North America and the US in particular, because this is a big issue here. And hopefully it will start a new movement that is more fair to the consumer but still allows innovation and still gives companies uh, some safety in controlling their products right we don't want unsafe cars out there i get it like but at the same time we should be able to do some basic things adam do you want to tell people where they can find you on the internet
1: yeah so i'm on twitter it's just adam Conway ie All oh, one word that's my twitter handle and then my instagram is adam ninety nine, where i occasionally post um phone photos and stuff The twitters where the real content is but yeah i'm also on uh the xda developers youtube channel and i'm a frequent uh, news writer and uh, feature writer for the site too so
0: yeah check out adam's writing at xda check out his twitter and his instagram and folks you know where to find me on the internet i'm at tank girl that's t-n-k-g-r-l like the comic book character tank girl without the vowels both on Twitter and Instagram. Twitter is where you want to go to speak with me and Adam about this podcast. If you have some comments, some questions, please ping us on Twitter. Instagram is where you want to see some pretty pictures taken with phones and pictures of phones. And uh, there is a couple of YouTube channels related to this podcast you should check out. YouTube.com slash Mobile Tech Podcast is the main channel where I have mostly unboxing, some hands-ons, some uh, reviews from time to time of uh, devices. Basically, if you want visuals that go alongside this audio podcast you can get them through the YouTube channel check it out then there's a new channel that my producer and I have been trying to ramp up but not being very successful but the bottom line is we're hoping to have more content that's kind of preferable to mobile things like smart home car tech and you know travel tech that sort of stuff so that's youtube.com slash mobile tech more please subscribe to both the channels please like the videos subscribing to the mobile tech more channel would help us monetize so please consider doing that it'd be great and then the podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com there's an rss feed there if you want to subscribe but more importantly we're all the big platforms so google podcasts apple podcast pocketcast spotify everywhere good podcasts can be found you'll find the show and if your app lets you rate or review the show please consider doing that it really helps for discoverability The big exciting news the last few weeks is that I have a Patreon now, patreon.com slash tanker, that's patreon.com slash TNK If you want to get an exclusive version of this podcast on video a few days before the audio version is posted and Adam's waving, if you want to get that, this is the place to go, Patreon. We have a tier where you can get these videos. We have tiers that are more affordable if you just want to donate. We have tiers that give you access to a Discord chat room and chat with me. So check it out, patreon.com slash TNK I want to thank Paul L for being our new patron this week. Thanks so much for contributing. And uh yeah, so folks, check it out, patreon.com slash tankgirl. Go there and help. And then if you don't like Patreon, but you'd rather donate in another way, there is a PayPal link in the show notes. It actually goes to my website, tankgirl.com, and then you'll find a little button there you can click and make a PayPal donation. Consider helping out with that as well if you can. That would be great. Finally, I want to thank our sponsor, Audible. Audible has been with the show since the early days and they're a wonderful sponsor. You can help them help us or you can help us by helping them. There's basically a deal, 30-day free trial, and you get to keep a book at the end if you want that. Check it out, audibletrial.com slash mobiletech is the URL. That's audibletrial.com slash mobiletech. So what is Audible? Well, you know, it's the audiobook platform of choice. So consider checking them out because if you like me and you like to read books, but instead you want to listen to them, you know, because your eyes are tired, maybe you're on driving all day on a road trip or whatever, You know, this is a great platform for that. Audible has you covered. They have an incredible selection of books. Lots of books are read by the authors. Some of them are totally these epic long reads, just like a real book. You know, you listen two hours at a time. You put it down for a little while. You come back the next day, listen to another hour. It's like, you know, you kind of something to look forward to. It's kind of fun anticipation. But if you're not into long form stuff, they also have some shorter things like podcasts, short stories, Lots of content. So check out Audible. They're wonderful. If you like books, you really owe yourself an Audible account if you don't already have one. audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. And I want to thank Audible again for being a long time sponsor. And Adam, thank you for being on the show. I appreciate you coming. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it was fun. We'll have you on again at some point in the future. And folks, you know, we'll have a podcast next week. So stay tuned for that. Until then, cheers, everybody.
1: This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.